It's a good day to be a Christian. Amen. Amen. Um, I'd like everybody to go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And I know that as a Pentecostal church, you're thinking, well, I know where he's going. <clears throat> right? Well, I'm not going there. I'm not going to go there. This isn't about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 44 and 45 of Acts 2. When you all get there, look at me and smile real purdy. Okay, now either some of you aren't pretty or you can't find Acts 2. It's one of the two. Okay, Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 44. We're just going to read 44 and 45. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, it's going to be right there behind me. Here we are. All the believers were together and had everything in common. All the believers were together. It didn't say all the insert denomination here were together. It said all the believers, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 44. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Wow. That's all I got to say. It's been nice having you today. Let's close in prayer. Imagine that statement right there. In three dimensions and technicolor in the 21st century. All the believers were together. There was no such thing as denominationalism. There was no such things as fellowships. It was the body of Christ and it alone. No divisional areas. And they had everything in common. Selling their possessions. Selling their goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Can you possibly fathom that concept? That's quite a concept. Last week, I told you about... uh, Well, I told you, and then you, in turn, responded to a need within the local body of Christ, that, that there was a need in a family, in a household. As a result, now I want you to get a load of this. As a result of that need, I I, I made reference to it in the message. Gary came up and besought you all on behalf of this need. Get a load of this. You guys handed over to the Lord nearly $2,200 in relief for a family in our church. That, brothers and sisters, is Book of Acts, New Testament Christianity at its best. That's what that was. You heard about a need in the body, 
$2,200 later, what you did was gave a family room to breathe. And you caused them to not fear. I want you to ponder that reality. This body changed the immediate future. And this church then set about taking care of the needs that were there. This church went about taking care of those needs. All because you in your spirit-filled, spirit-led hearts heard about a need amongst the body of Christ and you didn't react. You responded. And made the immediate future far far better. That kind of Christianity, brothers and sisters, touches lives, but changes trajectories. It does. Because when hopelessness is your uh, uh, companion, there is not a whole lot of anything to look forward to. And when hope suddenly arrives on the scene in the way that he does things, (laughs) suddenly hope takes the place of hopelessness. Listen, listen, Listen to this. This is exactly the verse that you guys don't need to hear. Okay, why are you reading it then? Because it's good word. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed. Yet they're naked and starving. There's your picture. Go, I wish you well. Oh, that I had good music to go along with this. Wonderful statement. Keep warm, oh naked one. Be well fed, oh bony one. If one of you says those things, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In other words, what good is it what you said? It's not doing anybody any good. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Well, you all... Put your, literally, your money where your mouth was last week, and I want to applaud you for that. I want to applaud you for that. Thank you for that response. This is, this is one way, which y'all did last week, that was one way to show what love is. And as we learned last week, showing love to one another is how people will know that we are his disciples. Amen? This week, I'm going to continue down the road of this topic uh, and speak to you on, I want to show what love is, part three. Now, in the event that you are wondering, and maybe you're not, which is totally cool, 
in the event you're wondering what happened to those messages that I went so many weeks on concerning the troubles that our country is facing right now, what with the unrest and the violence, um, please know that we have not left those messages. Okay? Please know that. Um, we're merely emphasizing a different side of it. Instead of pointing out the unrest and the causes responsible for it, we're discussing how to show the love and the grace of God in the midst of it. That's where we veered to right now. Okay? All right. Acts chapter 4. If you all want to turn there, we're going to be looking at verses 32 through 35. And we're going to find the pattern for what this body, local body, did just last week in our service. Acts chapter 4, verse, beginning in verse 32. Let's go ahead and read this, verses 32 through 35. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Now, interesting about that. Doesn't that sound like somewhere else in the book of Acts? That sounds a lot like the opening statements of Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. All the believers were one in heart and mind. One, no one, I'm sorry, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had. Now right here... We stop for just a second in verse 33, and we hear what's going on in the apostles' lives. With great power, the apostles continued to do what? To testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. Now, if you will recall, back here in Acts chapter 1, did you notice that right there it didn't mention miraculous manifestations or signs? Did you notice that? It didn't mention that, right? You can nod yes. Everybody go, yes. Okay. I've got five people participating this morning. Okay. If you look at the eighth verse of the first chapter of the book of Acts, we'll see that in response to a question stated, Jesus says, but you will receive Power. We all know that, right? We're good Pentecostals. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and here's the important thing to make note of, which we all already know. And you will be my witnesses. My witnesses in Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So, what is happening in the lives of the apostles here is exactly what Jesus said would happen when they went about ministering the Word of God. Verse 33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So we're not focused in here on a bunch of manifestation gifts and Events, although those accompany the preaching of the Word. It's just the Bible formula. But here, what the, the, the writer of the book of Acts is emphasizing is that the power 
was being displayed in the preaching. Now, what does that mean? Was it that when they went around preaching, they were really loud? Was it when they went around preaching that they stomped on things and hit things really hard? What does that mean? No. What power in preaching simply amounts to is an unashamed stance that the Lord Jesus Christ is exactly who He says He was, and I'm not afraid to say it, come hell or high water. That's power. And that's what this means. That when they spoke and they preached in power, their testimony in the face of danger did not fluctuate. How do I know that? Because it just happened earlier in this chapter. I'm trying to find it, and I'm not going to do it. Uh, doesn't matter. I can't find it, but it's just above our text verses that we're reading right now. It's in that section. Um, the, 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 uh, Peter was arrested because he healed a man. The righteous, holy empowerment people wanted to know what was going on. They threatened him. They left, went back, and they didn't care. And from that point forward, they continued preaching in power. But the Bible says in verse 31, after they prayed... This is after they have been removed from custody, gone back to the believers. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. That's another thing you've got to understand. Power in preaching has to be accompanied by Holy Spirit baptism. Now keep in mind, these guys who the Bible just said got filled with the Holy Ghost were the same ones who were filled with the Holy Ghost in Acts 2. Same people. So infilling depends on how much outflowing you have going on. If you're dumping out the Spirit and preaching and testifying of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're pouring the rivers of living water coming out from your very being, then you're using up the fuel that powers you to testify about Jesus Christ. What does that say? I run out of gas and I'm toast? No. You come back. And you come back. And you come back. And you do it again every time you use the fuel of the Spirit indwelling, you go back and get filled up some more. Jesus did it. The apostles did it. And it's that power, it's that infilling that keeps you on the cutting edge of the power of God when it comes to your testimony. How many of you are scared to death of telling folk you're a Christian? How many of you are scared to death of stepping out and telling people about Jesus Christ, folk you don't know, folk that you do know, that are relatives, close folk, maybe even hostiles? How many of you are scared to death of Or if you do it, it's basically your testimony about Jesus Christ amounts to this. 
Yeah, I go to church. You have an ailment. And I'm going to diagnose it. Dr. Michael is about to diagnose your ailment. You are not filled with the Spirit of God. You aren't. We're going to go there in a minute. Oh, don't you go there. We're going to go there. We are so going there. But that's the problem. If you're going to profess this Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit and power, guys, look at me. Look at me. Everybody, don't profess it right here. I already know Him. I already know Him. It's those folk out there that don't know Him. It's those folk out there that need Him. Yes, amen? Amen. All right. Okay, let's get past verse 32 with the power. Verse 34, there were no, get a load of this, there were no needy persons among them. Why? Well, because they had their church in the right neighborhood and the entire place was upper class. Everybody there was rich. Everybody pulled in with the, the low rung on the totem pole was the Cadillac when they pulled in. Right? That's why no one was needy because we don't allow needy folk in our church. We're in the wrong neighborhood for that nonsense. No, it wasn't. There were no needy persons among them. Listen to this verse. From time to time, those, those which automatically right there saying those who owned lands or houses means there are some who didn't own lands and houses. But there are some that do. Right? Those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money for, from the sales and put it at the apostle's feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need, provided that the apostle had at least one private jet. What, no? That's not right? Okay. So what we're saying here is that the leadership in the church was actually on the up and up. That's a fascinating concept. So they lay it at their feet, and then those funds are distributed to anyone as they needed. So what was all this that's going on here? What is this? Well, before I address the, address the what it was, allow me first to address the what it wasn't. Number one, it was not an example of the redistribution of wealth. It was not an example of welfare. It was not an example of exploiting poverty. And for those of you who are among the uninitiated, when I say exploiting poverty, that means supporting the professionally and intentionally poor. I'm sorry, when you're looking at this book, at this time in history, this crowd that we're talking about here was the, if you don't work, you don't eat crowd. So this is not an example of exploiting poverty, supporting the professionally poor. And lastly, it was not the development 
of an entitlement mentality. Now, those, those, those amens got a lot quieter. The United States government even calls entitlement, entitlement. You have the right to bleed us dry. No, you don't. No, they don't. This was not any of that. This, what you're experiencing and reading about and hearing about this morning, was a manifestation in the midst of the body of Christ where believers used the resources that they had at their disposal and that were available to them, wealth, houses, lands, to show what God had done for all of mankind through Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't understand that, I'm about to explain it. It wasn't, what you're seeing here, wasn't supernatural as such. It wasn't mystical. It wasn't even what we typically refer to as Pentecostal, charismatic, or spirit-filled. Although it was profoundly the result of being spirit-filled, and subsequently people being spirit-led. It was just believers, just Christian folk, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Here's the big word. Doing what they professed they believed. This wasn't, this, you didn't see folk getting healed. You didn't see messages in tongues. You didn't see words of wisdom and No, these are folks who, according to verse 34, from time to time, from time to time, they would go out and sell something that they had. What was it? Because I made mention to it. I made mention of it. What did God, through Jesus Christ, do for all of mankind that was then subsequently modeled in Acts chapter 4? What was that? He was the one, God. God was the one who had the power who had the resources and who had the inclination to provide for those who had none in order to elevate them from out from their powerless circumstances. That's what God did. He was the one who had the power, the resources, and the inclination. In other words, He wanted to provide for those who had no resources, no power, and no inclination in order to elevate them out from their powerless circumstances. Remember last week what Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 said? You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's what God did. He was the only one who had the power, the resources, and the inclination 
to initiate salvation and restoration for a people, according to Matthew, were seated in darkness, oblivious of their own circumstances. And what we see here in Acts chapter 4 is people, born-again, spirit-filled Christians, led by God, step up and from time to time, with their power, resources, and their desire to do it, they would go out and sell a house. They would go out and sell some real estate. And they'd take every dime and they'd walk into the preacher, set it down, and say supply for those poor folk. No wonder a spirit-filled church in the first century didn't have any poor folk. Wow. Because those people in their own Psalm chapter 40, their own miry clay of poverty could not get out of their pit. And so someone comes along and lifts them out because they can. That's what God did through Jesus Christ for salvation, but that's what these people did for the poor of their city and in their church. They're they're impoverished pit they cannot climb out of. So what are we going to do? Walk up and pull them out of it. That's what you're witnessing here. That's what's happening. God had the power. He had the resources and He had the inclination to provide salvation through Jesus Christ for those who were powerless to save themselves. How many of you... We're powerless to save yourself. Those of you with your hands down, you either, one, need to get saved, or two, have a way more high opinion of yourselves than you ought. So that's what God did. In Acts 4, people who had the power, the resources and inclination to provide for those who had nothing, again, from time to time, Those who owned the lands, the houses, sold them in order to provide for the powerless, modeling what God did through Jesus Christ. This isn't a big mystery. Now, let's take just a minute. Where am I at? Yikes. Let's take just a minute and look at a couple of examples of this actually playing out. Okay? Verse 36 of Acts chapter 4. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. End of story. Very anticlimactic. Why? Because that's what it was supposed to be. I'm going to help provide for the poor of our congregation, of our community. Sells a field. Takes the prophet, brings it in, drops it down. See ya. Walks out. That's how it's supposed to work. That's exactly what you did last week. It's exactly what you did. Minus the field. Let's look at another example. This one is far more famous example. Or maybe it's far more infamous. And this one didn't go quite so well. 
We're going to read verses 1 through 5 of chapter 5 of the book of Acts. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. Verse 5. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. So, what happened there? The first example, Joseph was like, there's another day at the office, walk in, hand money, and give to the poor, walk out, there you go. What did Ananias do? Can I tell you, there's actually two things that went very, very wrong here. The first one is, I think everybody understands, is that you don't lie to God under the pretense that you're not lying. Oh, this, I am exceedingly holy. I have all this money and I'm going to give it to the Lord. But oh, how my wallet is so thick and heavy with the other part that I'm lying to you about. You can't lie to God and act as though You're not lying to God. You see, this is the problem. This is probably one of the biggest problems the modern church faces. Remember what the apostle said? You're not lying to men. You've lied to God. What happens is is that in the church, we walk in under certain pretense thinking we're lying to the preacher. But in reality, we're lying to God. You can get away with lying to me. With me. Because unless God tells me, oh, they're lying their face off. Unless God, I don't know that you're lying to me. But when you walk in to do something like provide for the poor, listen to me. Take the example that God made himself and try to lie through it and deceive with it. Guys, things are going to go very badly very quickly. It is best that if you're thinking, I really need this money. Don't come into the church with any of it. Okay? Or keep the investment and don't sell it at all. Okay? Because things go very, very poorly. Maybe not as fast as it did here, but you don't get to lie for, lie at God, lie to God, and then just get away with it. It doesn't happen well. Okay? That's the first thing. The next thing is this. If you are actually going to walk up to God and say, I'm giving myself to you, you're making an offering to God, but in your heart of hearts, you have every intention of holding some of that back, that's not a good idea. 
What went wrong? Two things. Number one, Ananias lied to God. Number two, Ananias tried to hold back a gift that he was presenting before God. You can't do that. And it go well for you. Death came to Ananias in a very physical sense. You lie to God and withhold a gift. Death is coming to you in a number of ways. And it may not be you in the ground. There's death coming to your money. There's death coming to your living. There's death coming to your family. There's death, death, death. That's how it's going to play out. You don't lie to God. Okay? So, the one example was, woohoo! Sold stuff, gave it to God, walked out, everything's hunky-dory. The other one is, sold stuff, kept stuff back from God, acted like you didn't, and then you die. Let's see, which one is the way we should act? Bad things. Want to see another example of what Joseph or uh, Ananias did wrong? Check this out. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Okay, now this is a religious guy. This question is legit. He actually means this. What? And I, I know that because of what he says here in just a couple of words. What must I do to get eternal life? Well, Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. Of course, he's referring to his father and He's saying, why are you equating me to him? Quite a good statement, actually. If you want to enter life, remember, the question is, what do I do to get eternal life? He says, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Now, we know this guy's a good religious guy, as I already mentioned, because of verse 18. Which ones? Then in verse 18, Jesus lists all the requirements. Last one, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, here's verse 20. I've done all that. That's how we know he's religious. He's legit. When he asks about eternity, we know this because he's keeping the commandments. Now, either he's a bald-faced liar or I'm right. He's actually a good religious man. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect. Did you notice that's not the same thing he said just a few verses ago? If you want to enter life, do this. But if you want to be perfect... You'll do this. Go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad and because, uh, because he had great wealth. So here's yet another example of an Ananias who wants to look the part, who wants to be the part, but because they have great wealth, they don't want to release it because it matters too much. And what's Jesus say? Right off the top, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's hard. What would you do if Jesus told you to get rid of all your stuff? Would you get rid of all your stuff? Because that's not what's happening in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 is very, very clear. From time to time, those who had the resources to do it 
would go and sell a piece of property, would go and sell a house. Then they'd bring the money. What's that suggest to you? These people have a lot. But the people in Acts chapter 4, with the exception of Ananias and Sapphira, are not the rich young ruler in Matthew. These people are doing this out of their desire to have no poor people. Because poor people are as important as rich people. Because Jesus said, well, John said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him. The church, and now I'm speaking from my heart because my notes are exhausted. There are no more notes. Okay? So we could be here another two hours. The church has more hang-ups than can possibly be suggested in a pulpit in one sermon. Do you realize that if we had the poor here, I mean poor folk, there would be conversations about how we need to sterilize the pews what odor lifters we need to put on the pads because, boy, that really stinks. You know we're missing, Caleb, do you realize we're missing toilet paper from the bathrooms? Where did that go? Well, I saw some poor folk with their jackets all the way out to here leaving the church. And on and on and on and on and on. We've got too many hang-ups in the church. You see, in Acts chapter 4, the idea had nothing to do with their station in life, except they needed provision. That's what you guys did last week. You said, what? And you started shelling out money to the tune of $2,200. Why am I preaching this this morning? To let you know exactly what you did from a biblical perspective. That's why. Not because you guys need to know it. It's just I'd like to show it to you. Don't you like it when God's plan manifests in your life? Amen. Well, guess what? You're living and walking that as you did last week. And not all needs are financial. Some needs are prayer. But guys, what a response last week you made. Fabulous. But you have a pattern for it right here. And if you want... To continue that kind of pattern. Know this. What accompanied those verses had to do with the power of the Spirit of God in baptism and the power of the testimony of Jesus Christ. It all goes together. It's body stuff. Now, what happens... What if there's more people like that? What if there's more people than the family that we ministered to last week? How do we get to We don't. We find out about what's going on in the lives of people, and we'll bring it to you. Because remember what the Bible said from time to time. They sold lands and houses. And so, yet last weekend isn't every weekend. 
but from time to time, we'll bring a need. Yes? Okay. Because you guys have proven your ability to live out Acts chapter 4. And I applaud you. I applaud you. Stand with me. We're done today. Can you all sing there's no other name? Like they're going to say no. No.